0: You're listening to Unfiltered Brew, hosted by Master Cicerone, Joe Vogelbacher, and brewery founder, Eric Flanagan, out of the Sugar Creek Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome Merry back Christmas. to our next episode of Unfiltered Brews. Excited to be here today. Um, you know, the holiday's approaching and in the taproom. so festive now. we got an amazing Christmas tree up right now uh awesome what is that thing
0: 16 foot
1: it's big it's nice and thanks to st gabe's men's club for
0: uh getting us that tree um feel free to get us a smaller one next time though
1: i mean it's nice
0: It's occupancy gets cut, cut in, in half charlotte. yeah oh i guaranteed we should yeah we should we should put that tree up against something else in charlotte
1: in the spirits of the old days when we did uh the christmas trees we do something kind of similar i think inspired from your time in the military and, and my time as well um we'll do a employee appreciation night. So we got that coming up on Monday. And for all of our listeners, the way that works is Eric and I will let everybody that normally works behind the bar off. And usually our wives will join us or a guest bartender from down the street or um, Brendan from the gym, which is um, they're here and they, uh, they lease from us. But um, the owners of the establishment will, will um, serve the beer to the employees and we ask the employees and their employee team to bring all of their friends and whoever, and we charge full price. We don't donate the beer, but whatever we get, and it's open to the public and the register at the end of the night, um, every cent, including the, gro- the gross sales and all the tips, we donate back to the um, team for Christmas bonuses. So, And then the way we work it for the Christmas bonus uh, is the longer you've been here, the more, um, the more Percentage you get of it. So we'll take everybody and rank them by their tenure And then the people that have been here the longest um, will get a little bit more um, For their bonus based on what we collected. So Did we save the spreadsheet this year. I don't know every year I feel like every we got to year make, we it, make a new spreadsheet. It it's a pain in the butt, but um, We usually throw Eric and I usually throw some money into that, too So it's always a fun night uh, employee appreciation night coming up on Monday. So it's a long day though it is. Uh, it gives you appreciation for what they do all the time, right? But I mean, we do get in early in the morning, and then.
0: Well, you know, I and I'm going to say it again. You know, you'll get the employees and the friends that come in, and they try to make your life miserable, though. <laughs> you know, and you, and you got to remind them, hey, by the way, I'm doing this for you, so don't get too crazy. You know, they want to order, you know, a Bahama Breeze and a Mai Tai and a Mojito. You don't order a mojito in December. You just want to see me muddle something. You know, it's like, all right, fine. Make this hard on me. That's cool. I just give them a sugar cookie when they order all that. Well, now we've got liquor and, you know, we've got food. So, you know, it's not, and we just got a new POS. So hopefully the new point of sale is really easy this year. Yeah. So we'll we'll give it a go. And um, it's, it's nice to be able to serve them for a change, but. Yeah, I mean, we end up raising thousands for them. And I mean, they, you know what, I don't know. I don't know if they like the cash in the fat envelope at the end more than seeing us sweat. It's both, definitely. You think it's 50-50? I mean. I think some of them just sit there and grin the whole time, like, man, you can keep my money. But we have, uh, we have some incredible
1: regulars that came, and actually a couple came last year and left a $1,000 tip. Which yeah, is they're the ones that make in, the night, yeah. Which is just incredible. I mean, that makes your whole entire season. But I always get kind of depressed this time of year because, um, well, number one, all the, the, it seems like the beer sales really dry up after Christmas. And then we go into the worst time of the year for this business, which is January. And uh, the big thing, a big movement, and I don't blame people because they get burned out as as dry January. So what do you think about that?
0: So, you know, I was thinking about this. And, you know, we're, we're becoming a decent sized brewery now, too. And, you know, hopefully we're even bigger. We had a good year this year. And you start to see the wholesalers clam up beginning of December. You know, and it's probably funny because some of our wholesalers, we know for a fact, listen to this. So maybe they'll tell me, maybe they'll call me later and tell me I'm frigging wrong or something. But (laughs) And not to spew their business, but these wholesalers are massive, millions of dollars, right? Then on top of that, they have millions of dollars of inventory on the floor, right? And at the end of the year, what do we all have to do? balance our books, end of year numbers, take inventories, what we started with, what we sold, what we ended with. So I bet, and the wholesalers are better at it than us. I bet the logistical side is that by December, they're looking at their pars going, all right, let's run these babies way down. Let's get rid of all this old beer that nobody wants, the chocolate brownie, the scorpion stout, and then let's count everything when we have the least amount of inventory. And then let's turn around and start the new day off so i mean that's business right you think that's what it is and then you roll in the dry january is what i'm saying yeah i mean uh it's it's tough
1: because i don't know i think you have to going in going in the dry january i mean it's good to take give your liver a break i'm not saying it isn't right but moderation is is important and i think supporting your local brewery um is important but um i guess now what you're seeing is a trend moving away from alcoholic beers and then doing some kind of um, LTOs, the limited time offerings, where it might be something like a, a non-alco- non-alcoholic product. Have you seen the new ones that White is putting out?
0: Uh, yes. Um, so
1: it's a seltzer with no alcohol. Think about that for a second.
0: A non-alcoholic, so it tastes like a seltzer with alcohol. <laughs>
1: a non-alcoholic seltzer. So it's carbonated water. But it costs the same as, a, as an
0: alcoholic seltzer. So what are you trying to do? you trying to tank the sales so nobody buys it? Of hey, people, you're buying carbonated water. <laughs> a non-alcoholic seltzer. That's Tell me crazy. what that is.
1: It's carbonated water. Yeah, okay. With uh, flavoring. So what's the difference between that and soda,
0: which is half the price? Oh, nothing. I mean, look, uh, when somebody, you know, no offense to people that do them, but when I heard how much hop water was, was like oh man what kind of hops you putting in that well hops are expensive i get that i get that but i mean when it came on it was like oh boy let me pay 15 bucks a four pack for this or whatever it is you know but um a carbonate a non-out carbonated soda carbonated beer a non a white claw that's has zero they're called white claw zero white claw should sponsor this because we've already said white claw more than we've said sugar creek but i didn't know that i have not seen it i i know for a fact um good for athletic brewing they're about the same age as us i was looking at iri numbers i mean they are one of the largest breweries in the country yeah they, they don't even put what what is it? so explain to me actually let's they do let's a great job with that explain to me what a non-alc is because i think you correct me sometimes when i say alcohol free is there alcohol in a non-alc beer i don't know the laws on it
1: but my understanding is that um you have to be under point ABV. So um less than less than 0.5% ABV. So yes, it has alcohol in it, a uh NA beer, non-alcoholic beer. An alcohol-free beer is different. That has to be zero. And that's much more difficult to get uh completely zero. I mean, some bread, when you ferment bread, has
0: alcohol in it. Really? Yeah. So um it's hard to get it completely out. So we've never done one. Do you know how to do one? I mean, what's um, the process?
1: I'm learning, just like any you know, everybody. You kind of uh, you learn about these things as you go. But the general idea is, um, number one is um, you can adjust certain brewing parameters to um, things like the mash and the mash temperature to change the enzymatic profile that's in the wort. So what I mean by that is you can emphasize certain sugars that don't ferment as well versus the simple sugars that do um, ferment well. So that's one, one way to do it. So that's adjusting the mash temperature. That will make a, a, a wart profile that doesn't favor alcohol production. That's one way. Uh, another way is to use a specialized yeast and the specialized yeast will um, ferment the beer, but not produce a lot of um, ethanol. And they have that now. And, and nowadays they're doing, even more GMO-type yeasts that are specifically engineered to not produce um, alcohol—that's one thing. Um, but you also want the flavor of alcohol, so it's important that the yeast gives off things like uh, ethyl acetate, which is uh, on the nose of a of normal that you'd get from ethanol, to kind of give the drinker the idea that there's alcohol in it, even though when there when there isn't. And then the other thing that I've seen brewers do, and a way you can get the alcohol to uh, stop producing. Is by arresting the fermentation. Now you can do that a couple different ways. The fermentation occurs uh, with it being at the right temperature. So you can drop the temperature down to as cold as possible and stall the fermentation on purpose, and now you don't have any fermentation. So you start the fermentation then stall it. Another way some brewers do it is um, they'll take fermenting beer that would normally produce alcohol. And then right when it starts fermenting to the point where it produces alcohol, they'll centrifuge all the yeast out. So the yeast are gone. That's the same sort of thing. That's like a, a me- mechanical arresting of the fermentation. So these are just concepts to me, like how how you could do it, but because I haven't done this before. But um, I'm looking forward to, I, I'm having a conversation with uh, Dr. Bill Simpson next week to talk about how um, he does it for the bigger breweries and um, maybe learn a thing or two from that. So I don't wanna put out a product unless I know it's, um, it's gonna be good. So it's important to kind of get that background research in before you jump in and do it. So another cre- key critical thing is when you're making this product, because the non-alcoholic beer usually has um, some residual fermentable sugars, especially if you arrest the fermentation, right? If you, if you drop the temperature down and stall it out, then when the customer gets it and warms it up, it could restart fermenting. And if it restarts fermenting, you'd have the cans exploding, right? So one way to make sure that it doesn't restart fermenting is by using a pasteurization process. So we're the only brewery in Charlotte that I'm aware of that has a tunnel pasteurizer. So we'll can the non-alcoholic beer, run it through the pasteurizer, heat it up, and that will kill any yeast that's in there, residual yeast, so that, when you warm it up, it doesn't start fermenting in the can again and explode. So You should
0: just make one for January. Yeah. Call it January. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, my mom doesn't drink, so she'd like it, but she won't drink it even if it has 0.5% ABV. But it always makes me think about, you know, diversifying your, your options. So we're in a very crowded space these days, and I think it's important to kind of transition into being not just beer but maybe being beer and th- and things other things so i'm thinking about that always and how we can be a you know world-class beverage maker everything liquid i mean beer and and other things right so we have uh that, that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur is to reinvent yourself and diversify and kind of bring in different streams of of income so i'm, I'm interested in the in the seltzers i mean um it's funny, you know, like people, when they find out that we make some seltzers, um, they, they like to ask me a lot of questions about them. And these are really sugar ferments. So you mix sugar and water and ferment that, and you have a really clean ending liquid, which all the sugar is converted into ethanol. So now you've got ethanol and sugar that are, excuse me, ethanol and water and no sugar anymore because the yeast ate it. And that's the base for your seltzer. So I tell people that are really concerned about their health They talk all the time like, well, I just drink White calls um, because they're low in calories. Your beer has 140 calories per 12 ounce, and the White call only has 85, right? So I pose this question to you and the listeners. Let's say you had a slice of whole grain bread, right, and it's 140 calories. Or you had a Three Musketeers bar, which has 90 calories in it. Which one is healthier? Is it the 140 calorie whole grain bread or the 90 calorie three musketeer?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Let me the, the fibers in the wheat though actually cancel out some of the calorie, or no, they cancel out the carbs. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. What I'm saying is there's nutrients and things in the bread that are not in the candy. So beer is like the whole grain bread, craft beer,
1: and seltzer is like the candy bar. It's just usually alcoholic water back sweetened with various flavors Um, not ours though we make from the raw ingredients the the uh, beer on the other hand is a cereal grain that's been fermented so you have proteins vitamins uh, minerals all kinds of other things other than the alcohol in there that help bring some nutritional value to the table whereas a lower calorie seltzer yeah it's lower calorie But it's completely devoid of any nutritional value right so if i was going to drink one or the other i would take the 140 calorie it's kind of like the diet coke versus coke analogy they have these days which one's healthier
0: Which which one is healthier
1: i don't know there's debate on it but uh i mean i know uh our good friend the veterinarian um oh yeah he tells us all the time that he'd rather have the full flavored um coke than the diet one because It doesn't have all that artificial stuff in it yeah i I don't don't think it's healthy to drink either
0: i just heard a uh huberman lab though a lot of those um artificial sweeteners some of them are still pretty decent they're not bad for you really oh yeah yeah yeah. there's um there's a couple that i'm not gonna i'm definitely not gonna try and go down that rabbit hole on on youtube because i would get talked in circles but um i know there's a lot that are bad for you we stay away from in my well, people household. love it when we tell them wrong stuff on here well what i mean the, <laughs> what's the one that's from the plant right now that that's um I mean, yeah i mean it's the it's, sugar cane one um is uh sucralose it's a
1: triple chain i believe sugar um and and the aspartame
0: one's not good, right?
1: I'm not sure. So you have sucralose, aspartame's the other big one. S- uh, um, the one with the S? I almost said sativa. <laughs> um, those are the two ones I really know, aspartame and sucralose. And I think sucralose is healthier for you. But it's interesting, and maybe we can get Bill on the podcast to tell the story. But he knows the story of how they discovered that. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm going to give you the basic idea. So um, this... Artificial flavoring the sugar substitute was discovered at a food science laboratory at a university and The professor who was doing the work there at the lab had some interns okay, and they were experimenting with some new molecules and the intern came to the professor who was uh, of Indian descent with a thick Indian accent and the uh, intern came to the professor and said Um, Dr. So-and-so, I just want to let you know, we completed the test on this and we have, uh, we've resulted in this new compound and, um, it's all good news. It's exactly what we thought or whatever. And he said, oh, that's great. And on the way out, he told the intern, test it. Okay. That's good. Test it. Um, so the intern didn't hear test it. He heard taste it because of the the accent. So the intern did what the boss said and tasted it, okay? And when the boss came back after his errand, he said to the intern, he said, he said, did you test it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I tasted it, and it was really sweet. And the doctor said, oh, no, 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 don't taste it, that could be, you know, it could be poisonous. I said, test it, test it, not taste it. And he said, well, I did taste it, and it's really sweet, you should try it. So he accidentally, um, Consume some, and they discovered, holy cow, this stuff is super, super sweet. I think it's 30
0: times sweeter than sugar per unit. You think that you can? Do you think there's breweries out there that are using it in the brew process? Oh yeah, or? I think you could use it. Yeah. What do, the, think it, what do you think it does to the flavor of the beer? Um, well, it enhances it. I think. I think it it brightens
1: it up. It's kind of like adding uh, salt to a, a dish, right? It's a seasoning kind of the sucralose. So, uh, so the fascinating thing is they. The university that discovered this, okay, and and whoever's listening, um, chime in and correct me on the story, but it this turned into a billion dollar, multiple billion dollar discovery uh, once they analyzed it more and realized they had discovered a non-caloric sweetener.
0: And the two, and are the two uh, physicists sitting in the lab still doing nothing, or did they get any of that money? That, I don't know. It's a good question. See, unfortunately, when you're under the
1: university's payroll and you're working in for them under a university sponsored things, a lot of times what you discover is the property of the university that's part of the deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like I used to work at the shipyard and I worked at um, in, on the nuclear power plant and they would always ask us for OFIs. We talked about an yeah. opportunity for improvement. And when we'd submit them, oh, you can do this and save money or you can do this and improve the process or whatever, sometimes that could result in the millions of dollars of savings for the shipyard. It's a big company. so. Shipyard of course kept all that money so they could keep you gainfully employed. But if you did one that resulted in millions of dollars, then occasionally throw you a bonus of something like ten or fifteen thousand. That's not bad. But it's something, you yeah, know. Yeah. At least in an appreciation. So anyway, um yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on on all that. I mean, uh Another thing I wanted to say is, um, you know, we just finished the Master Cicerone exam again. And I always love following that because there's some great people doing it. And I didn't get a chance to proctor this this year, which I was kind of sad about. No one passed last year, right? No, no. We had some people pass last year. Two years ago, maybe nobody passed. They they had uh, people that uh, passed. And then this year was a record number. We had six candidates pass. You know, like, part of you might think, oh, well, maybe the exam got easier. No, no, it didn't get easier. The quality of the candidates were top, top notch. So I'm super proud to be in a group with these people. They're all industry experts. And we have, uh, we even have Jen Blair, I think is from the Charlotte area. She just passed, which is awesome. So our friend Ryan, um, he passed, I believe, last year. And we have um, uh, Dave down from Louisiana passed and a lot of good, great, people um excited for them to be part of the club so shout out to all the new master cicerones um, congratulations on passing
0: you guys do like a master cicerone party throughout the year or you guys just meet up at certain places there ought to
1: be so, i mean we've been we've been kind of cordoned off in the brewery recently but there ought to be
0: a party you're all invited down we should do one remember a long time ago we did that really cool um tap takeover we did a master cicerone tap takeover where all the master cicerones got to pick their favorite beer and then we made the beer menu maybe we should um, do that we should try to do like a an annual master Cicerone gathering yeah and then um, everybody picks their favorite beer or at least for the new ones
1: yeah we had um a lot a lot of great people a lot of really smart talented people pass it was it was a great year for the for the program so uh thank thankful to congratulations. all congratulations master all.
0: Cicerones make you. sure you you trademark it and put the
1: copyright next to it.
0: <laughs> that's a big thing.
1: Now you have to spend the rest of your life explaining to everybody what a master cicerone is. I told that the to Shelly who just passed uh from Sam Adams, amazing, uh sharp lady. She kinda giggled. But
0: um yeah, yeah, you know, so that's So what's the official number now? Do you know it? It's like twenty six or something, twenty-five. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. You were nineteen and then there was a two more. Two more after you. Twenty one. So probably 6 20, more 26 27 27? 27 ish. Okay. In that range, I might miss some people. Tell us in the comments below. <laughs> Ring the bell. Give us a yes. thumbs up. So we have a
1: you know, we brought another tank in recently. Oh yeah, f- speaking of fat turkeys. Yeah, we brought another tank in. That's always cool to do and a 90 barrel tank,
0: so about 3000 gallons of product can go in there. You know what's funny? You know what happens every year when we take that thing off the truck? When it's sitting on its side, it doesn't look like the right size. Every year, every time we get these things, sometimes it's twice a year, sometimes it's not. So I walked out into the back and the brewers were on the loading dock scratching their heads. And Tim's like trying to find a measuring tape. He's like, I think they sent us the wrong one. And I'm like, buddy, that's how they always look. But when you stand that thing up, it goes way up there. Yeah, it's a scary,
1: uh, it's a scary process standing those up, but man, we got it up somehow. I don't know how, but we we did. So, I, I always love showing those because you can, when you come into the brewery and you see what we have going on, um, you can kind of see the progression of uh, our company growing, where we have the smaller tanks, the medium-sized tanks, and then the larger tanks. So, one w- one of the questions I get a lot when I'm showing people back there for the tour is, um, why are the tanks back here so much bigger than the than the ones in the front where you boil the beer. That's a good observation. Yeah, so they're they're like, well, these tanks are gigantic and the ones in the front where you make the water are just so small, it's like, are you putting different kinds of beer in them? So the answer to that is um, no, we're putting the same kind of beer, but the fermentation takes us, so how, how long does it take to go from grain to glass? And that's around 21 days you know, the mega breweries can do it as, as short as four, four to eight, it depends on what you're, you know, you're, you're producing. But ours were, we, takes time. It takes 21 days on average. And most of the time that the beer is conditioning is spent in the fermenter. Now to make the wort, we can make 500 gallons in about an eight hour shift. If we do four in a row, we can do, uh, we can compress that time a little bit and do like a 16 hour shift. We can do um, 2,000 gallons so what we'll do in the front of the house where we're making the wort before it ferments is we'll make a bunch of batches because we can do it quick and then we use the big tanks to hold that bigger tanks to hold it while it's fermenting which takes the longer time so when you see the big tanks in the back with the v-shaped bottom those are the fermenters where you're storing it for upwards of 21 days um, while it ferments conditions ages
0: and, and, and loggers. so that's one of the questions that people ask a lot and um, you know, the other question people always ask too is, you know, how do you control the temperature in those things? They don't even realize the temperatures. I mean, it's basically got its own um, central air unit and people don't even realize it, you know? And I usually, I love to let them touch one and then I, I let them touch one that's in the middle of cold crashing because the temperature is just totally different on those things. And people just can't, can't fathom that. I, that was when I realized, that was when Tim told me that, you know, in Europe, real estate's really expensive. So a lot of times they'll put their tanks outside.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, traditionally the, you know, lagers were, um, that means to store the um, lager type beer was fermented in caves to keep it cool because fermentation actually gives off heat. So part of the equation, if you look at the chemical equation for fermentation, you'll see that... uh, sugar produces ethanol and carbon dioxide and heat there's excess heat right so it's exothermic if you let the yeast just ferment at room temperature it'll ferment really really fast and make all kinds of uh, flavors that might not be desirable you want a controlled fermentation and one of the things that the brewers does is control the temperature so the yeast doesn't kill itself and it can be reused again and number uh, two is that we can control the flavor of the finished product um, and the biggest way one of the biggest ways we can influence that flavor is with the temperature So the way we do it is we have that big refrigeration unit like you said it has glycol inside of it and glycol is a um, uh, The type we use polypropylene glycol is a food grade a food grade antifreeze basically and it, um, You can drink it. It's totally safe and it goes around the outside of the tanks That is controlled with the solenoid, and that keeps the temperature right where we want it. So for ales, it's around room temperature, 68 degrees. But if we didn't have that, it would go all the way up to a 90 or 100. And then um, lagers is a little bit lower, around 50, 50 degrees, 50 to 52 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the main difference. That's the main. So for types of beer, you really just have ales, which are a certain type of uh, yeast, lagers, certain type of yeast. Okay, and um, what I call mixed culture or uh, mixed fermented uh, products, that, those are your wild ones. That's like anything that's in the air that gets in there, your lactobacillus and stuff like that, that gives the beer a, a tart a tart kind of flavor. So yeah, the um, exothermic. So it gives off heat and that's why we have it. So when you're g- doing those tours and you have people touch it and the tank's super cool or sweating on the side, it's usually because we are, we're lagering that uh, beer and that's kind of conditioning it and getting the flavors to meld together and letting the solids drop out so you get something nice and bright like this one. And uh, um, the temperature, having the right temperature is critical to that. So even if you had it outside, you would be subject to mother nature, right? So you'd wanna make sure that you can um, keep that tank um, warm enough too, right? So that's, that's a consideration if you're gonna put your fermenters outside, you need to make sure that the outside temperature is such that it doesn't go drop the temperature of the beer to the point where it'll stall fermentation. Yep. So you might, you might. I'm not sure, or maybe um, someone can comment on it. But I think that you need the ability to be able to warm it up and cool it down the tanks. Oh, I'm sure I if mean, it's that's outside.
0: Why, so I mean, if you had a brewery in Alaska, you probably wouldn't be running glycol into the jacketed tank. You'd probably be running warm, steam, warm water, maybe. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Steam. That's a that's a good thing. So I heard this story in Brazil when I was down there judging. Um, and I don't remember the name of the brewery, but what happened there was um, a brewery was using ethylene glycol, I believe, which is actually antifreeze, like the kind you put in your car, mm-hmm. which is poisonous. Oh yeah. Um, because it's cheaper than polypropylene glycol. is very expensive. And they had a leak in the jacket on their tank and it leaked in antifreeze into their beer and they served it and three people died. Wow. Yes, so they had an investigation Okay. And they found out that they were using um, a poisonous type of glycol in there. And it was a big, big, big deal in Brazil. So they now have mandated that people have to use um, food grade um, refrigerant. So I'm not sure why we don't have mandates for that or if we do in the brewery, but it seems to me like uh, an important thing to do. You know, they just had somebody die in Winston-Salem. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah. So a a brew pub in Winston-Salem a few weeks ago um, somebody came in to clean the draft lines and left in the caustic cleaner which is the cleaner and served to somebody and they drank a pint of it and died and three other people got really
0: sick I mean that's that that's, was Winston-Salem man that's close to us we probably know the, the company that's cleaning or not or the people cleaning I mean yeah that's tough man yeah so um, that, that's a really tragic
1: situation, right? And it just goes to show you need to be professional about doing it. So um, our team, when they asked me about it, I said, hey, you can use pH strips when you're finished cleaning. Test the pH, because Caustic Cleaner has a very basic P- pH. So you test it and make sure that when you're done rinsing the lines, that it's a neutral, you know, a neutral uh, pH when it comes through there before you serve the beer. Even when we rinse everything really well and then we use all of our food, food grade safe stuff, um, at the brewery we still the first case or two of product that comes off the line we always dump it just as a precaution just to make sure uh, a final precaution but yeah it's um, it's a dangerous business and it's important and I imagine there'll probably be regulations coming down the pipeline for that
0: I thought I remember a long time ago in um, in the um, in Bill Simpson's class you and him were talking about this and and he was that was probably along the, the first couple times what you had probably asked but he was saying that one of the larger breweries um if it was probably food safe one of the larger breweries overseas actually accidentally put tons yeah you got a good memory of glycol yeah and they didn't that was a long time ago yeah find out till later and that was when that was heineken okay yeah bill was using him as he's like i remember you know in his what is he scottish or irish yeah Scottish. It's not going to kill you, Joe. So-and-so dumped 5 million gallons into their beer before they even knew it. For a
1: year. Yeah, for a year. It was going into the Heineken. That was polypropylene glycol. Now, you can drink that all day long. It's fine. It's actually a additive in many foods. They use it in foods. Huh. For what? I'm not sure. How about that? Fillers? But there's no flavor to it. No flavor. It doesn't and taste. There's no smell to it. No smell. So what we do to make sure that we we're not putting it into the beer because it's expensive and we don't want leaks and we don't want to dilute our product with with glycol. Um, what we do is we add blue food coloring, strong blue food coloring to the glycol. So if there is a leak, it'll change the beer from uh, this yellow color, golden color to green, roughly. It also will leak on the floor and you can see the blue blue dye if it comes out the back of the jacket. So. Mm um that's one way where we make sure that we don't have a leak we also have a level sensor on the glycol reserve in the back so if we see the level drop we know it's going somewhere and in which case we would investigate um and we get that level sensor is hooked up to the internet so we have iot on that and we'll get a text message if that lever level drops
0: yeah when i remember when bill was saying i remember going man didn't they notice like the cost of glycol went up that year? Or? I think that's how they found it. Yeah, I mean, like, holy, holy cow, we're using tons of it because man, guys, where's this going? I man? mean, this stuff's like fifteen hundred dollars a drum. Well, I mean, if it's if you don't find it leaking in your warehouse, which we do at times, there's only one other place it could be going.
1: Yeah, I mean, you the beer, right? You always have leaks because the pipes that go in are. Um, you rarely, rarely, rarely would have a leak into the beer. It would be a, something like a freak situation. But externally, you can have them on the delivery tubes because of the temperature going from hot to cold, hot to cold, hot to cold. So think about heating, expanding, heating, expanding. When you do that, the fittings tend to loosen up and you can get some weeping yeah. from that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's... that's a uh, Definitely a crazy situation, so I feel bad for the uh, person that got sick in Winston-Salem. Yeah,
0: horrible to hear.
1: I hope everything's all right with that. Yeah. My man. uh, So another thing that people ask me a lot when you're out and um, doing these tours
0: is about the water in Charlotte. I've heard, and um, I'll never forget when you and I were opening the brewery. We were touring the breweries in Asheville. And they were bragging about the water table that they're on and how great it was. So hearing you start to talk about it made me feel good, too. But we've got a pretty good water system here, too, to support that, don't we?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, one thing you got to think about is where is your water coming from that you drink every day and that's in your products? Where is it coming from?
0: So you're saying that people ask you about our water on the tours? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Do you know where ours comes from? The city of Charlotte, baby. I know, but where do they get it? Uh, from the sewers, right? I mean, don't we, doesn't everything run off into one place and then over here by the mountain bike trails and then we filter it out and give it back? Oh, you mean like um, the rain? Yeah. Yeah. So the Catawba river and all that is, isn't that our reservoir? Yeah, or? that's
1: it. Yeah. So basically um, the, my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, but um, you know, you have a variety of ways you can get it. If you if it rains down, usually that water from the clouds goes into the ground and then goes into the water table, right? Or you might have a reservoir, a river, or a lake, or something like that that has fresh water, right? Ours is from the Catawba River Basin. So if the water is filtering down through the soil, that's where it usually picks up like all those minerals that end up into the, into the beer, whatever is in the soil. And being that we're in Carol in the Carolinas. We have red clay, and red clay doesn't give off a lot of things. It stains, though. Yeah, um, and so the water will go through that. It doesn't add a lot of minerals to the the water, and then by the time we get it, it doesn't have much. There's not much to it. So one of the issues is, like, in brewing, you don't want alkaline water. Alkaline water makes really astringent beer. Hmm. So you want soft, preferably... I shouldn't say soft or hard. You want water that doesn't have too much residual alkalinity. Now, you do want hard water if you're making IPAs or other styles, right? And soft water helps for certain types of pilsners. So what we have in Charlotte is super, super soft. It doesn't have much of anything in it, but it does have chlorine. So we take the water from Charlotte, filter it through a Activated charcoal filter get rid of the chlorine, okay, and then that goes into our beer, and then from there we'll add salts, okay, we brewing salts which will increase the hardness up or down depending on what we're making. The uh, more salts that we add, um, calcium sulfate, calcium carbonate, these sort of things um, which are naturally in the ground as well, will help brighten the flavors in IPAs and or uh, increase the sweetness in beers like our double and stuff like that. So. The brewers in Charlotte have a really great blank palette to work with, and and we're we're uh, we're fortunate to have this uh, great
0: water here in Charlotte. So you're saying our water is better than Asheville's water? Well, I would have to know more about Asheville's water. To I remember to being comment. on on Highlands tour years ago, and they were talking about the freshwater deposit that they're the Asheville's right over, and they're getting it right out of the mountain spring water right out of the mountain. So. I
1: mean, the big breweries, the Sierra Nevada and New Belgium, they moved there for a reason. So water is probably part of it. A lot of the bigger breweries will do what's called reverse osmosis filtration. Yeah. And they'll push the, uh, the water through a semi-permeable membrane and take everything out of it. So it's just pure H2O on the other side. Then, depending on what they're making, they know exactly what the water profile is going to be. And they'll add those minerals to it to, to replicate the water from different parts of the world where historically certain types of beers would have been made
0: my wife and i got a zero water filter it's like brita on steroids basically it's got a little meter on it and you're supposed to test your tap water and then other waters and then you use it on this zero i mean the what i mean the water filter is expensive and you get zero um and uh The problem now is when my wife and I go anywhere to the YMCA to work out. Um, We're at our kids' soccer tournament in Greensboro. You can taste things in water that you are not used to because we drink mostly water from home. And uh, it was funny because, you know, our wives have tasted a lot of beer with us over time. We're at a restaurant in, uh, I'll say, middle of the state. I'm not going to say what city it was in. And they sold our beer. And my wife took a sip of her water. She goes, taste this. I'm going, what? She goes, it tastes like mildew or mold or something. Ooh. And I was going, really? And I took a sip and I was like, oh, boy. And I realized right away they probably hadn't cleaned their soda guns, uh. And they were just, and the problem was we were at our kids' soccer tournament. No one else could taste it except us. People thought we were absolutely insane. And I'm going, well, that's probably because we 'Cause we've been on the brittle water filter and the refrigerator filters for years and now we're literally drinking zero water coming out of that thing. So That's cool.
1: Know. Oh, on a side note, when they used to offer the master cisterone exam up in Chicago, um, I would always, you know, have to use the restroom because you're drinking so much water and beer during the exam. You know, you drink a beer, taste it, taste a beer, and then you rinse your mouth with water and then taste another one. So you're ingesting beer and water, beer and water the whole time. Uh, inevitably you have to go to the bathroom so you go to the bathroom then wash your hands in there afterwards of course and i'd smell my hands and i could smell the water because you're really finely tuned at the time and i would get a in chicago i'd get a geosmin smell and geosmin is the smell of earth or most um, people recognize it as b, bee. b e e t, b t. So, like, imagine you're taking red beets. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and that. boiling, boiling them. Mm-hmm. The smell of beets, which is they've been in the earth and absorbing the oh, earth. Yeah. That smell is in the water, and that'll carry over into the finished beer. So, and you're we're saying geosmin? Geosmin. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's one. That's that's something the water up there for sure has that the brewers need to be concerned about. We don't have that problem. We don't have to worry about geosmin in the beer, but. Um, We do test the water quarterly just to make sure that the alkalinity hasn't risen too high and make sure we make the uh, necessary adjustments for the beers that we're producing throughout the year because the water uh, content changes throughout the year. A lot to think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think, I mean, most people just think you, you know, you, uh, you mash up your grains, you add a little hops, you stick it in a pot and you're done. I mean, you know, America does what America does best. You know, they just refine it to the point where you're going. Wait a minute. So now you reverse, you reverse osmosis ing the water. Yeah. Then you're selecting grains from all over the country. You're making sure that your or mill or the world or the world. You're making sure that your mill is get is is right. Perfect. I remember the mill back in the day yeah, was a problem yeah. for us because yeah. that's efficiency. You know, and then you're going through. Three different, you know, mash tun, kettle. Then you're adding your hops. And then you don't even have beer. That's what's crazy. You've just made wort. Yep. Permetration's really the art.
1: I mean. Carbonating, filtering, transferring, packaging, distributing. So much work goes into this, Eric. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we have the guy that's driving in the back seat watching you do all the work
0: and saying, this sucks. Yeah. You guys should go. <laughs> you guys should are in the wrong career. I don't think so. To be honest with you, we usually do not have anybody that tells us our beer is bad we literally and look oh, they, not, they're around i'm not really bragging i'm just saying people know us for if anything they know us for quality i mean you know this we just got in what is it, craft beer and brewing magazine oh yeah we yeah just good. got nominated I mean, for one of the top abbey ales uh breweries in the world how I cool mean, is that I mean, I got to tell you, it's not as cool as when we actually beat these guys at the World Championships, at the Craft Brewers. Uh, um, What is it? Uh, Best of Craft Beer, the U.S. Open. I mean, the guys that are way above us, we've been beaten for years. That's why I was a little upset that we were so low on the list. But I mean, maybe somebody will get the list right at some point, you know. To share the list with
1: uh, people that have been brewing this style that you're working with since the 1800s is quite a feat, I think. So it was cool to be on the list. And, um,
0: a lot of, you know, a lot of times not as cool as beating West veteran or beating these guys, yeah, Trapp- Trapp- I mean, beating them is way better.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that people don't uh, realize too, is that a lot of the things that you read in brewing magazines are all paid for ads by the people that get their names in there. So you might think that it's, uh, honest, but most of the time these things are paid for. And I can tell you, we didn't pay for that. So it was cool to be on the list, but
0: it is crazy when people don't realize everything,
1: it, all your media is it's paid like, for. Hey,
0: we're getting ready to come out with this best of magazine. Would you like to buy a half page, a whole page? We're pretty sure <laughs> you'll make the list if you do. And then the ones that get the full pages are in the top two or three. Terrible. You know, but, I mean, look, it's a, uh, it, it's the way the world works. I mean, it, it's a, it's a strategy, right? Uh, so, um, anyway, uh, it's been a good year.
1: It has been. I'm, I'm happy about it, man. Maybe I'll take take a minute and tell you a little bit about this beer that we're drinking. What do you think,
0: Eric? It's a good idea right before we cheers it, before we toast it. Yeah, Christmas toast.
1: Yeah, so this is a sugar cookie. This is our seasonal uh, beer. It's 8% um, alcohol. The idea was to kind of make a, uh, a beer with the uh, flavors of a sugar cookie and biscuity, bready, a little bit sweet, uh, not too sweet, though, and kind of a golden color like you would when you bake a sugar cookie and get that nice golden color on the back. I love the label. You want to tell us
0: about that a little bit? Um, you know, uh, the Christmas beers these days, they're starting to be more and more of them, and people are having a lot of fun with the label, so we wanted to have fun with the label. So, what is Santa drinking there? What's in his hand? Um, that's actually uh, one of our... Um, what do you call? We've got the big white ale glasses here. You know we do the 20 ounce. Oh, yeah. Which what what It's what, like a wheat beer glass. A wheat yeah, it's a big wheat beer glass. So he's basically got a beer in his hand and he's getting um sucked up into a sugar cookie UFO. Um, you know, beam me up Scotty style. So we thought that was humorous and fun. And um, we took some Christmas elements from all the Christmas cards we've done over the past and you know, we put the the uh santa claus hat on there but you know it's it's actually just it's supposed to be a fun beer you know um we've done really good selling it people like it the one thing we want to do is make it look very christmassy and i think we do and as you turn the can you realize a giant sugar cookie that's a uh, a giant <laughs> ufo made of a sugar cookie is beaming santa claus up i mean if that helps you pick the beer up off the shelf and you know yeah, so this it. this is a cool
1: beer to pair with anything. All the sweet stuff that you have at during the holidays, you think, hey, pairing something that is supposed to be uh, sweetly inspired with sweets, that would be too much. But no, that's not how it works. It actually works really well together. So try it with any of your holiday cookies. A- add a little sip of sugar cookie. You're going to be surprised how well they
0: go to, uh, together. It's got a little bit of dryness to it too, so it does yeah. it does clean you out. And you know the thing, I And we don't add any sugar to it. It's um. I'm actually realizing I'm drinking it a lot like an IPA when I drink my IPAs and stuff I like to give it a swirl to maybe make the bouquet come out and then I take a sip so this whole time I've been kind of giving it a squirrel I mean a swirl a squirrel giving it a <laughs> swirl and then you get a little vanilla bean and and then um, yeah. smells coming out of it but always yeah put your nose in the glass and get that smell so
1: Merry Christmas everybody thanks for tuning in Merry we'll Christmas We'll see we'll you in the see next, one. next year.